hello. Oh, wow. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, if you want to turn there. All right. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for our time together. And, and Lord, um, I'm just excited to um, look, in, uh, look into the book of Acts and just see uh, the lives of the the early saints, the first century saints, and, you know, just how, um, how matter-of-fact they were in their faith, Lord, in their walk with you. And, uh, Lord, if you said it, then that settled it with them. And they stepped out in faith, and you did um, awesome things through them. And I, I pray, God, that we wouldn't limit you in any way uh, today, in 2021, Father, that we would know that you're the same God, you haven't changed, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that um, you still want to do um, great things through the church. We know it's your will that uh, people get saved, and Lord, that, uh, that's, that's what we're called to do, is to be a voice for you, to, to be a light, to be a witness. Uh, Lord, so thank you for enabling us and for challenging us tonight, Lord, to take uh, these steps of faith that we see I'm in Paul's life. So we thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So just to give you a little bit of background, we're leaving, we left chapter 17. Paul was in Athens waiting on uh, Timothy and Titus. And it's interesting that when we look at Acts 18 and Acts 17, we see that there's a huge difference in the result of the, you know, of the ministry in one chapter over the other. Uh, we know that at the end of chapter 17, Paul is on Mars Hill talking to all the philosophers of the day. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, they used to just go hang out there and talk about the latest thing going on, you know, it was... Nothing better to do but just compare um, IQs, I guess, and just talk about the latest, um, whatever it was, the latest religion, uh, the latest anything, that they would just sit there and talk about it. And what I want to do is, um, I want you guys to think about that a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, um, not my thought, but I'm going to share something that um, Pastor John Corson had mentioned in his, um, in the beginning of his look at First Corinthians, because I, you know, I want to, I want us to see the difference in the the ministry towards the end of Acts 17 and what happened in Acts 18. And the reason why I, I want to do that is because we're going out on Sunday nights and we're sharing the gospel, and you know. We're always trying to think of what to say, how to break the ice. You know, we have these tracks to hand out and everything. But, you know, we're going to see that the difference is, you know, just talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, that's the difference. And if you read, if you want, I'll, you don't have to turn there. I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And, and reading First and Second Corinthians gives you a little bit of insight of what's going on and um, when Paul is at Corinth, where he's going to be, he's leaving Athens now, the end of chapter 17, and he's going to be in Corinth for a year and a half. So he's, he's there for quite a while. 
So this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. He said, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So at the end of Acts 17, we see Paul going to Mars Hill in Athens. You know, all these intelligent people are there, you know, and they're, they want to hear what they call Paul this babbler because Paul has been sharing the gospel in Athens, and, you know, now they want to hear what this new thing is. So they invite him up to uh, Mars Hill to present, um, you know, his thoughts. So what something that um, Pastor Corson points out is that Paul refers to um, these different altars that he saw throughout Athens, uh, dedicated to various deities. But he opens his message by saying, the unknown God to whom you have dedicated an altar is the God of whom I want to speak. So he starts out okay, but he goes on to, to say that as he delivers his remarks to the Athenians, explaining the true and living God, Paul quotes their prophets, discusses their philosophy, and alluded to their culture. But the success of his sermon was very minimal. If you look at the, at the end of Acts 17, you know, most of those that heard Paul kind of mocked him out. Others said, come back later. Uh, we'll hear more, you know, just come back and we'll listen to you, you know, again. And a handful believed. So here's what um, John Corson believes is, is the reason why things didn't go that well for Paul. He suggests that a careful reading of Acts 17 shows Paul never mentioned Jesus Christ crucified. Okay, and this isn't a knock on Paul, obviously. Right? This is, um, you know, Paul is a, is a man who learned um, just like we did through experience. So, I mean, this is not, not a knock on Paul for sure. Um, he never mentioned Jesus Christ crucified, although he alluded to the resurrection. He never stated straightforwardly and with simplicity that Jesus had died for their sins and had risen from the dead. Instead, he tried to be philosophical. He tried to be professional. He tried to be relatable. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what we try to do at times? You know, we try to, to meet people on their intellectual level, wherever they're at. Or, you know, we try to be relatable. Oh, I could relate to that. Or can you, you know, and the thing is, the reality and what the comparison here is and the point uh, that Pastor John is trying to get across is that um, you know, all of that is fine and dandy, but the reality is it's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And thinking of, you know, the outreaches and thinking, you know, we have all these different things we want to say. We just need to keep in mind that the message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that, you know, that he's the savior of the world? You know, just giving them the gospel and love. And, you know, this challenged me because I'm going from, you know, one driveway to the other, and I was with Jane, and we're, you know, in my mind, I'm trying to think, you know, um, I'm going to have to change this up a little bit, you know, with a track or something like that, instead of just, 
you know, going there and just asking people if they know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for their sins, just sharing the gospel with them. Because that's what's going to prick their heart. You know, that's what's going to prick their heart. So Paul leaves Athens, and the next stop is Corinth. And from the two verses I read, you can see that, you know, Paul changed his mode of operation radically. Okay? He forsook the flowery speech, and he talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And guess what? Many responded. There was a church founded in Corinth. There wasn't a church founded, there wasn't a church founded in Athens. So you could see the, the difference. So, yes, it's true that the church at Corinth, uh, they had their share of problems, right? You guys read First and Second Corinthians lately? Yeah, they had their problems. You know what? We have our problems. I mean, we're the church. We're flesh and blood. We have problems. Um, but the fact remains that a great church was started when, in contrast to what he did at Athens, Paul simply preached Jesus and him crucified. And I know it sounds simple, very simplistic, but that's where the power is. You know, the power is in the blood. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, that God raised him on the third day, you know, and that he's seated in the heavenlies, making intercession for us, that God loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. So it challenges, it challenges me when I, when I look at this, and I, you know, and I look at Paul, you know, and we, um, we revere him because of the, the man he was, the man of God he was. But, you know, he, it just, you know, when he fell off the horse on the way to Damascus, he didn't become perfect. You know, when we got saved, you know, we, and we were perfect in God's sight, right? But when we got saved and, and we started to grow. And, you know, we can learn so much when we just look at people. And, you know, we read the Bible, we read through the book of Acts, and we, we see men and women like us learning the same way, growing in Christ the same way we did. And... I really believe that this was an opportunity for Paul to grow, and you can see the difference um, in his attitude when he, um, in those two verses in First uh, Corinthians two. So the point is obvious, right? It's blatantly obvious that simply preaching Jesus Christ and the cross. In Mark sixteen fifteen, Jesus said, and he said to them, "Go into all the word and preach the gospel to every creature." What's the gospel? Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You know what? And the gospel is not relevant. The gospel is not seeker-friendly. It's not. You know, next Sunday night, not when you knock on somebody's door, if you want to bear, prove this point out, knock on somebody's door, and when they open the door, tell them they're a sinner. Nobody likes to hear that. You know, the gospel is not seeker-friendly. But that's what people need to hear, you know. And we can, um, you know, we can say it in a, we can say it in a way that people could digest it because we all did. I know somebody, um, wow, back in 1979, knocked on my apartment door and told me that I was a sinner and that Jesus loved me and He was my Savior. And um, you know, of course, um, I was um, I was ripe for the picking, and I said, Hey, come on in. I'm if you can show me, I'll believe it. You know, and I was, um, I was Catholic, and I believed um, that everything that I did up to that point in my life, God was just getting even with me. So when they told me that God loved me, 
and they had a Bible in their hand and said they could show me, I was like, well, okay. You know, and I got saved that night. But, you know, they were really straight with me, and I, I love that. I love that. That's how we need to be. So Acts 18. Uh, Paul is still, he's finishing up his second missionary journey. Um, he's ministering at Corinth now. He just left Athens, and we'll see as we start reading um, in the uh, chapter 18 that he's going to end up in Corinth. Uh, the time frame that he's there is a, a year and a half. And while he's there, he writes First and Second Thessalonians. And just to give you a little bit more perspective time-wise, at this point, the book of James and Galatians has already been written. So, you know, there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of good things. I mean, there's things happening. A lot of good things happening. For, and I'm not going to go from chapter 1 of Acts through to where we are. I'm going to mention some things that have been going on up to this point. And God is, is doing amazing, amazing things through the lives of these men and these women that, we're, that we've been reading about. And I pray that when you guys read through the book of Acts, that you, know, that you see yourself there. That you see yourself there because these men and women were called by God just like we are. Filled with the same Holy Spirit that we're filled with. And they did awesome things for the Lord simply because they trusted him. They were made themselves available. They weren't influenced by the culture around them. You know, they were separate. And, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on around us, and we, we try to figure out, oh, you know, what could we do? What could we do? You know, what we can do is share the gospel because that's the solution. And I know it might sound overly simplified, but the solution to what's going on in the world today is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And he's commissioned us, just like he commissioned Paul and Timothy and all these folks that we read about. And the reason we're reading about them is because, you know, God wanted us to see what, what it looks like. You know, what does Christianity look like? Well, read the book of Acts, and you really get a clear picture of what Christianity looks like, how it acts, what it says. Pretty interesting stuff. So a lot has happened up to this chapter. And, uh, you know, just briefly, Paul's first missionary journey, the Jerusalem Council. I mean, think of what happened there. They settled the issue of the Gentiles being saved, put some expectations on them. Uh, realistic expectations, um, settled the issue of circumcision. I mean, there's, I mean, this is, like, church history is so much better than world history. I mean, world history is cool, but church history just has so much um, meat to it, so much power to it. You know, the reality of what God's doing in the world, when you, when you look at church history, you know, especially through the book of Acts, um, Paul goes on his second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas separate. And as a result, there's two missionary teams instead of one. Um, and the, the focus turns now, you know, now to Paul. The Macedonian call in uh, chapter 16. Uh, think about this. The gospel extends from Asia to Europe on foot. 
I mean, these guys walked around or maybe on a, a, a donkey or maybe a horse or something, a wagon. But, you know, they, get, they got around. I mean, when you think about it, to another continent. Lydia gets baptized at Philippi. Paul and Silas are imprisoned. <laughs> and you guys know what happened. They're worshiping the Lord in the very lower part of the prison in stocks. And if you remember the last time we talked about this, you know, they were worshiping the Lord and God starts tapping his foot to the worship. Then there's an earthquake and the chains fall off of their hands and they're set free and they're set free. The jailer gets saved. His family gets saved. They minister in Thessalonica. They minister in Berea. Then, of course, in uh, 17 um, at Morris Hill, and it brings us to where we are now in uh, chapter 18. So there's, um, there's a lot going on in the church up to this point. God is really, um, he's doing a, a powerful thing in the church. People are getting saved. Uh, people are getting healed. Uh, it's, 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 it's amazing to see that, to see that. Acts 18, verse, let's read verses 1 through 5. It says, After these things, and these things were the events that happened at Mars Hill, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born on, in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Uh, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, so they left Rome and they ended up in Corinth. And he came to them, that's Paul. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And all the young rabbinical students in that day all had a trade. So they were self-supported, of course. And Paul's trade was being a tent maker. And that's what Priscilla and... Aquila did, so they ended up hanging out together and working together. And it says that he reasoned in verse 4 in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Right to the point, right? You can almost see the difference in Paul. I mean, he's not... He's just, he's, gonna, he's just testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So Paul came to Corinth in his second missionary journey, and he's going to come back on his third missionary journey. And, you know, his ministry there was, uh, was very effective um, in spite of all of the challenges that he had. And that's what even makes it more intriguing when you, you look at what's going on here is that it isn't like everything, like Paul is just skating through and there's no, you know, there's no resistance, you know, everything is just going fine. You know, in spite of all the challenges, you know, the Lord is working. And sometimes, you know, I get challenged by certain things in my life and I, you know, it's like I don't want to go through that challenge or I don't, you know, I want to take a break, Lord, you know, I need to go get away in some mountain or whatever. But you know what? There's going to always be challenges in our walk with the Lord, in our relationships with other people, our family members, our wives, our husbands. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's working through those. It's working through those and seeing God's hand in that. You know, that's you know, where the rubber meets the road. 
And we see the reality of that all the way through the book of Acts, God's hand working in and through the church. So the city of Corinth was, you know, we think that things are bad now. Um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, Corinth was probably the most wicked city of that day. Some commentators say maybe a combination of Hollywood and Las Vegas all rolled into one. Um, you know, so it was a, a pretty rough place, a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on um, in Corinth. It was the political capital of Achaia, and it was the center of worship for Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility, um, and the main temple for Apollo. And because of the sensuous nature of the religious cult of Aphrodite, um, there were over a thousand temple priestess who in reality were prostitutes. Think about that, a thousand in one city, all working for the church, if you will. Um, just people just totally out of their minds, totally out of their minds. You know, just the debauchery, you know, the lust, the filth. And here comes Paul with the gospel. And, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to have a, a rough time of it, but um, you know, he never gives up. He never gives up. And you know what? We're going to see that God is just right there with him, showing himself real. And, you know, that's so true for us. And I hope you know that. I hope you know when you take that step of faith, when you take a stand for the Lord, that he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't kind of take a couple steps back and kind of leaves you, you know, to it yourself. He's right there with us. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that. So we understand that Aquila and Priscilla established a trade in Corinth. And Paul really forms a really tight bond with them. And that bond lasted throughout their whole lives. You know, and just the, the relationship that was so close um, that they put their lives on the line for Paul and for the gospel. In uh, Romans 16, verses 3 through 5, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So think about that. They're in business with Paul making tents in Corinth. Apparently, it sounds like they ended up going back to Rome, but they start this home church. You know, and they're committed they're committed. Now they're in full-time ministry just about with this home church. And along the way, something must have come up where they really went out and, and stuck their necks out for Paul. You know, and I don't know if we can, if we can relate to that. Because, when, you know, we're not, you know, our lives are not threatened. You know, here, these, these folks stuck with Paul, made, took a stand with Paul, um, at the risk of their own life. You know, the closeness that, that was in the early church is amazing. The love and just the bond and the connection that believers had in the first century. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen today. Of course it does. You know, and, and we all have experienced it. But just to think of the love and the, just the unity that is there um, really challenged me to see that. So Paul, it says in verse 4, that he reasoned in every Sabbath in the synagogue, persuading both Jews and Greeks. 
So that's the first thing that Paul did when he got there, is just went to the synagogue. And, you know, they weren't the most perceptive or receptive people, right? They never stopped Paul. Um, that never stopped Paul. And it should never stop us. People aren't always going to be receptive. And I'm going to keep going back to the outreaches for Sunday night. Not everybody is going gonna, is gonna to hug you or give, greet you with open arms when you knock on their door. But that shouldn't stop us from wanting to go. And I know that um, that, that does. People are apprehensive about that. And they don't want to feel that rejection. So they decide, um, you know, I don't think I want to do that. But it's a real step of faith to do it. And, you know, it's funny. Paul persevered in this. You know, he could have very easily said, hey, you know what, Lord, I don't think this is working. But he didn't. He stayed the course. He stayed the course. He persevered. And we have to be the same way. We have to take a step of faith. You know, that's, you know, really... We're ambassadors for Christ. God, you know, Jesus, I just read it, told us to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Well, that's, that's what that is. That's what we're doing on Sunday night. We're, we're fleshing that out. We're going, knocking on doors, and we're sharing the gospel with people who um, think they know what it's about because we talk to a lot of people that seemed very religious but didn't have a relationship with Christ. But that's what God's called us to do. That's, that's the mission that we have. So I just want to encourage you. Look, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Obviously, I would never do that. But if, if you're like thinking, you know, I really want to do that, but I just don't know if I can, or, you know, I'm kind of just uneasy about it, that's okay because I think everybody is. Everybody feels a little uneasy about it. But it's just something about taking that step of faith and doing it. And even being rejected. Because, you know, you can be rejected by like six houses, but, you know, one person will say, yeah, could you pray for me? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, I'll take that track. You know, I've had all these questions. You know, and it it just makes it worth it to know that that God has used you. And we're getting, you know, I'm going to probably bring that up on and off throughout um, the night. But it's just so important. You know, Paul is... Paul is just out there um, just being faithful to what God called him to do. And look at what's happening around him. And, you know, guys, that could happen with us. That could happen with us. We just need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. So in verse 5, it says that Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, so they finally catch up with Paul. And it says Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So Paul is compelled. And that word compelled uh, means to be constrained. um, And he's constrained by the Holy Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And I think that there's three important things that happened with Silas and Timothy coming back. Okay, one of them is that um, they brought some financial support from Macedonia you can read about that in 2 Corinthians 11 and in Philippians chapter 4. And because of this, this gift or this support, it freed Paul up because now he didn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to work. Now he can spend all of his time in ministry, full-time ministry. Um, the good news about the steadfastness of the Thessalonian church, I believe, refreshed Paul. 
hearing that good news about what was going on in the church in Thessalonica. You know, Paul was like their spiritual father. I mean, and he's hearing that things are going well. So, you know, he's excited about that. And then their companionship would have been an encouragement for the apostle. I mean, he's there with, you know, his fellow tent makers. But here, I mean, these, here comes Timothy and Silas. You know, they're, I mean, these guys have been through a lot up to this point so far. You know, and, and Paul is just excited that they're there. And, I, you know, I really believe he, he even felt a little bit more confident. And, you know, don't underestimate your relationships here at the church. Because you never know just, you know, what, um, you know, what effect you have on people in the church. You know, I, I'm looking around the room and I know um, a lot of you. And, you know, it's just, I look forward to seeing you guys. Because there's something that's a little different about each one of you that, um, you know, that I just enjoy. And hopefully some of you feel the same way. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, there's just something about the body of Christ. And I really believe that, you know, when these guys showed up, that Paul was like, oh, man, it's so good to see you guys. Man, let me tell you what's been going on. And they're saying, well, Paul, let me tell you what's going on. You know, and they, you know, we got the support. You don't have to make tents anymore. You can just spend your time, you know, ministering the word. You know, just the excitement. And, you know, I pray that you guys experience the same thing uh, with the body here and your your other Christian friends. So verse um, 6 says, but when they opposed him and blasphemed. So now, of course, here comes um, the resistance. So they opposed him and blasphemed him. And it says that he, Paul, shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this whole thing about, you know, Paul is just took it, you know, it's just a gesture you know, to just shake the, you know, your clothes at the person. And, um, you know, it's just saying that, you know, okay, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. And I don't, I don't believe that, you know, Paul was angry or disappointed by this rejection. I mean, he's been on and off up to this point throughout the book of Acts since he started ministry, and he's been rejected quite a bit. So this is, you know, just a, another rejection. But he, you know, he doesn't take it personal. Once again, Sunday nights, knocking on the door. Hey, somebody tells you get lost. Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. I don't think Paul did. And, I, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem like he got discouraged either. And we're going to see that, that more evident as we move through the chapter. And you know what, saints? Don't let people's response to you affect you negatively, whatever the situation is. I mean, I have, you know, I think a lot of us wear Christian t-shirts. I've, I've gotten some negative comments lately about my t-shirts. I get some positive ones. But you know what? Sometimes I, you know, I think that, wow, sometimes the negative comments are more motivating than the positive ones. But, you know, we just have to understand that Jesus said if they persecuted him, they were going to persecute us. But, you know, that shouldn't stop us from taking a stand. That shouldn't stop us for opening our mouth, for, for being bold. Um, you can see Paul knew that um, they weren't rejecting him. He didn't take it personal. 
And you know, guys, when somebody tells you to go to the next house or whatever, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message. Don't take it personal. So that shaking of the clothing just signified like a disassociation. Paul was saying, okay, you know what? Have it your way. That your blood be on your own heads. And really, he got that, I think, you know, and there's a, bu- a bunch of different references, but from Ezekiel's word about God's prophetic watchman. And it's really a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying here. And one that, um, and one that the Jews could really relate to. It isn't like they had to guess or try to figure out what Paul was telling them. Okay, so in Ezekiel, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 7. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man for their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning If the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes um, warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. You, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. And when he's telling them, hey, you know what? Your blood's on your own head now. I've told you the truth. I've warned you about what's coming. I've warned you about the fact that you guys have already missed the Messiah, but salvation is still available. So they've been warned. Paul's that watchman. And you know what? So are we. You know, and I I don't know if I'm taking a, um, a little spiritual license, but you know what? God has given us the message that people need to hear. We have the warning. You know, we're the ones that warn people if they die without Christ that they're going to hell. You know, does anybody in this room believe that hell is not a real place? Is there anybody in the room that doesn't believe that hell is the way the Bible describes it? Because if we really believe that, we know it's a real place and we know that people go there when they die without Christ. That should motivate us to to step up our watchmanship, if you will. You know, we don't... (laughs) We certainly don't want the blood of somebody's, you know, on, on us. You know, we got to be faithful to share the word. So, you know, we have that same responsibility today. So, um, you know, the verse represents another step, too, is, is you know, we know that, that slowly but surely Israel is, is getting, you know, is, is kind of fading, and uh, the ministry is becoming more and more to the Gentiles that, because Israel just continues to reject um, Jesus as the Messiah. So, in verses 7 and 8, 
this is, now it starts to get to be, I, I mean, they should really make, um, they, they can make like almost a sitcom out of this. But, and maybe it might not be seem that way to you, but it was just kind of humorous to me. In verses 7 and 8, so now they, they kick Paul out, right? So Paul tells them, hey, you know what? Later for you guys, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So can you, can you picture them saying, oh, well, good riddance, Paul. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, they're, they're probably glad that he's gone, probably glad that he said that. But guess what? Read verses 7 and 8 with me. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So they think they get rid of him, and now guess what? He's their new neighbor. He's the new neighbor of the his opponents. They thought they got rid of him, but guess who moved in next door? It's Paul. Wow. It's amazing. So Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's kind of funny to think. They, they think they got rid of Paul. They wake up the next day, and there he is probably out on the, the patio or whatever of Justice House having um, a cup of coffee. <laughs> what are you doing here, Paul? Oh, I'm your new neighbor. And you know what? It's amazing to, you know, Paul, he, you know he's just hanging in there. He's in it for the long haul. You know, and, and it's just ironic that now he's next door. And, and then look what happens. The, the ruler of the synagogue gives his heart to the Lord, he and his family. I, I mean, come on, you can just see the hand of God on, on this whole situation. And it just amazes me when you look at it that, you know, God has a sense of humor. You know, and, you know, and I say that kind of kiddingly, but, but you know, it's just you see the love of God, you know, through Paul and through these folks that, you know, no matter what, I mean, they're just faithful to, to, to give them the word of God because they know that that's what God's called them to do. They know that that's the, that's the solution. That's the cure. That's the, that's the remedy for what's going on in their hearts. And they're just staying faithful Staying faithful to what, the God, for, to what the Lord has called them to do. So Christmas gets saved. Um, it's just amazing. So <laughs> Paul feared that, you know, Paul didn't baptize anybody. And it said that, you know, talking about, you know, that they, were, you know they got baptized in, in verse 8. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 14 through 17, you know, Paul tells us, you know, he, he verifies that he, he didn't want to baptize people because um, he feared that people would focus more on him, saying, oh, I got baptized by Paul. Oh, I got baptized by Pastor Richard. Oh, I got baptized by Pastor Kevin. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, now the, the focus is off of the reason why they got baptized. You know, it's Jesus, right? Paul didn't want, Paul didn't want that. Paul didn't want anybody to look at him when they should be looking to the Lord. And that is so important for us to realize that. You know, all the glory goes to the Lord. You know, so whoever's speaking, whoever baptized, I mean, it doesn't make a difference. You know, it's all about people 
um, being undistracted uh, in their view of Christ and who he is. And, um, you know, we just don't want to get uh, in the way of that. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, back to, you know, and you can kind of see a little different, um, a little difference in his mindset when you read some of the stuff out of 1 Corinthians now. It says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Caius. Uh, at least anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So you almost see a little bit of what he goes on to say in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. That, you know, it's, just, it's not about the wisdom, it's about preaching Christ and him crucified. And one other thing that sticks out here that I really like, and it's something that we really need to get a hold of, is that in verse 17, it's so clear that Paul knew what God had called him to do. And he wasn't going to step out of that. He wasn't going to get sidetracked from that. In verse 17, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You know, when it's just amazing when you know and I want to encourage you in this. When you know what God has called you to do, I pray that you do it 110%. And just like Paul, don't, don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything pull you away from what God's called you to do. Because that's really, um, that's really where you're going to be the happiest and the most fulfilled in your life is when, you know, when you're where God wants you to be. You know, and Paul just refused. He just refused. Hey, God didn't call me to baptize, so I'm going to let these guys do it. God called me to preach the word, so guess what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach the word. And, you know, obviously, you guys have probably read through the book of Acts a few times, and you know that Paul stayed faithful. He stayed faithful to that call that God had on his life, preaching um, the word of God. So think about it. If you can kind of picture this in your mind, and you probably could because, I mean, we go through this. Everything that's happening now around Paul and his life, the ministry, you know, some of the stuff that we talked about that's happened up to this point, every day there's a new challenge. Every day something new is coming up. You know, Paul goes into the synagogue. They blow him off. You know, he has the opportunity to go into full-time ministry, not having to work. He ends up moving in with justice next door to the synagogue. You know, every, everything is just changing day in and day out. It's something new every day. And there's a sense of excitement there because, you know, what's God going to do tomorrow? You know, what's he going to do the rest of the afternoon? You know, and it's so important for us to pray. You know, Lord, you know, we just want to see your active hand in our lives, in our day. You know, we want to see, um, you know, you in what we're doing today. And, you know, he's there. He is there. He's there, active in our lives. We just need to take the time to look for it. And I'm gonna, I'll share you, this is kind of, a, um, it kind of drives home the point. We, um, we were driving around Penfield looking for a house. So it's kind of funny because Marianne didn't want to do it, but I wanted to do it. So 
we're driving around, so we're on our way back home, and we hear this, and all of a sudden we hear a thump, 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 thump. So we thought we had a flat tire. So now I'm thinking, oh man, I, you know, we would we should have been home. Here I got to take us out driving around, right? So um, we, I look and it's um, it looks like uh, a quarter inch in st- in ext- extension for a socket, and it's stuck in the tire. So every time I go over it, it goes thump. You know, so I, it's not a flat tire. I have this thing in it. So the next day we're praying about what we're going to do. So we're going to go to the dealer. And we're going to get the tire fixed. But there's this, they want to charge us, they want us to put four new tires on the car because of something with the alignment. And the, you know, I'm not a very mechanical guy. So the long story short is we're on our way there and we're praying about it. So we're almost there. And then I hear this, something hits the bottom of the car and that thing flew out of the tire. And now the tire went flat. So now we're at near Home Depot on Jefferson Road, so I pull in. Now keep in mind, we're thinking if we make it to the dealership, it's going to be like $400 for tires. So we call the automobile club. We never use it, so we said we'll call them. We'll see what. So the automobile club guy comes. You know, he's a younger guy. So he's saying, hey, what's going on? And talking to him, and he says, um, you know, we can plug this tire. And I said, really? I mean, it's, you know, it was a pretty big piece of steel in it. He said, oh no, we can plug this tire to 10 bucks and you're all set. And we're thinking, wow, you know, because we're waiting for the guy to come and we're doing, we're doing our devotions in the car while we're waiting. And I told Mary, let's just pray, you know, maybe, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And this guy shows up, so he plugs the tire we give him the 10 bucks. I, give, I, I didn't have a lot. Of, I had a few extra dollars, and I said, here, take it, man, because this is like, you're, you're a blessing. I can't believe it. But, you know, it's just amazing what, what God did, right? We prayed. We had no idea what we were, you know, what we, should we be going? We felt that's what we should have done. And really, literally, God stopped us from getting there and had this guy come and really bless us, really, so, you know, you never know. But, you know, somebody might have just kind of thought, oh, wow, that's a, we were just pretty lucky. You know, but, you know, we're doing our devotions, we're praying, and this guy shows up. I mean, it's just amazing to see that. And you know what? God wants to do that all the time, and we're seeing it here on a different scale, obviously. But this is, this is, what, this is Christianity, this is, this is walking in the Spirit. This is keeping in step with the Lord. I mean, it do, you don't have to be um, going into a synagogue or, you know, going knocking on doors all the time to keep in step with the Lord. It, you know, it, it's good when it happens during the course of the day, right? When you see God working in the course of your day. You know, not just rare, a rare occasion, but, you know, just including God in your day. And I'll tell you what, that's really, that's exciting. And it's so hard not to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, I mean, this is, I mean, this is what, this is how we want our lives to be, God. We want to, we want to be in the front lines. We want to be leading people to you. And he's saying, well, you have an opportunity every day. Every day we do. We have an opportunity. And, you know, 
this could be like a mirror, and I'm looking to my, I'm talking to myself. I mean, I hope you guys realize that. I mean, this is stuff that's challenging me all the time, all the time. That you know, God, you know, I, I just, I, I wanna, I just wanna do more for you. I want, I wanna see you working in my life. I wanna see you working in the church. You know, healing people. You know, getting people saved. You know, getting just having people catch on fire for Him. And so here's Paul. Paul said in, in Philippians 3.14, and we'll, um, we'll close with this. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? Philippians 3.14. You know, Paul is just moving forward regardless of what's going on. He's moving forward. And it's just amazing, verses 9 through 11, um, you know, the Lord is going to speak to Paul now. You know, he's going he's gonna to put his arm around Paul, and he's going to speak into his life. He's going to encourage him. And, you know, it really just blows me away because, I, you know, how many times has God done that with you? Maybe it hasn't been an audible voice, but God has spoken to your heart that, hey, I'm here, I'm with you. You know, going through a difficult situation, hey, I'm with you. You know, you're not in this alone. I'm with you. So here's Paul. You know, he's been through, you know, he's already been stoned and dragged out of Lystra, right? Dragged out. They thought he was dead, right? He's been, you know, persecuted through his ministry. And listen, it's just amazing. Verses 9 through 11, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And he said, Don't be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent. Why? For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there three, um, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So up to this point, like I said, Paul's been, you know, he's been through some pretty rough situations. But, you know, God is with him. God is with him. And, you know, the Lord says that there are, for I have many people in this city. And I want to I wanna leave you with this thought. Sunday, and I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this Sunday outreach thing, okay? So bear with me. Okay. So he's telling Paul, hey, don't worry. Um, you know, nobody's going to attack you. Don't keep silent. I'm with you. Um, you know, there's, there's people, there's many people um, in this city, for I have many people in this city, right? So he continued there. It tells us how long he continued there. So we need to understand that when we, there are people, we've been praying for this neighborhood for three years since we started doing the outreaches. Don't you think that God has people in this neighborhood, in this community already, who the Holy Spirit has been tugging at their heart? Right? Somebody, I mean, it's almost like they're, in a spiritual sense, they're there waiting for somebody to knock on their door. You know, Paul, the Lord is telling Paul, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you because I have people in this city that I'm, you know, I'm already tugging on their hearts. And Paul, I need you to just stay faithful and speak the word to them. Christ and him crucified. 
you know, saints, there's people in these community, in these neighborhoods that we're going to, that God is already working in their heart. And, and, and all, the only thing that's needed is somebody to, to say something to them, right? The gospel. To, to just look them in the eye and to tell them that God loves them. You know, you know what that feels like because we all experienced it. We all were lost, right? We all were, was anybody here born saved? No, right? We were all lost. But, you know, guess what? The Lord started working in our hearts, right? And then we heard this, and it kind of got things going a little bit more. And then somebody else said something. And then finally that last person just kind of closed the deal, and the Lord used them. You know, Paul was just so encouraged. You know, think about it. He probably woke up the next day and said, all right, Lord, where are they? Because I'm ready to go. You know, where are they? You know, I'm going to the synagogue. I'm going to go. You know, and there was a sense of excitement because God had not only spoke into his heart the comfort that he needed to, and the assurance that he was with them, but then he told them, Paul, there's people already in the city. You got to you got to speak the word. You got you got to get out there, and you know it's no different with us. You know God is with us. God is encouraging us to go out, because you know what God, the, the Holy Spirit, is 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 going out through these neighborhoods. Because you know why there's people here praying. It just makes sense, right? Do you guys know what I, I mean when I say it makes sense? It makes sense that if God said pray. And that he's the, 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 the fields are ripe for harvest. If God said it, we should be able to trust that, right? So that should motivate us to do it. Right? Don't you? You know, and I can I could talk about this. I, get, I just kind of get excited because I'm seeing this and I, I just want it for all of us. I want, you know, I would love to see, you know, people standing up against the walls and just people, fill this place with people that, it, that are saved. And guess what? Not that they want to get more people here, but they want to get more people saved. And the focus isn't so much what's going on in the building. You know, we get excited on Sunday morning, but the focus is let's get out into the community. How could we serve the community? How could God use us in this neighborhood? How could we get plugged in maybe to Penfield High School or something? You know, how could we make a difference? You know, that's the church, and that's what you see in the book of Acts. What can we do? How can we do it? Let's do it together. Let's go here. Hey, let's go there. I mean, these people walked hundreds of miles to get from one place to another because God told them to go there. I mean, that should, that should be challenging for us. It should stretch us. And you know what? If it gets challenging to the point where we need a little moral support, then we can give each other that moral support we need. And guess what? Just like Paul needed it, the Lord spoke to him in a vision, God will speak to you. It might not be an audible voice, but who knows? God's God. He can do whatever he wants. But you know what? It's exciting to know that this is available for us as well. You know, we can do this in Penfield. Could you imagine just seeing that? You know, we're, oh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get the reference right. But in, in the book of Acts, they, the word got out to everybody in, the whole, everybody in the whole area heard the word of God. You know, they heard it. 
Could you imagine just the whole, the whole town of Penfield just hearing the word of God? Every single person in the town hearing the gospel and having an opportunity to respond. It's amazing. That's, that should be our goal. Maybe we, should put it, maybe we should write it on one of these, whatever those brown things are, the soundproof things. Reach all of Penfield, you know. Reach, you know, reach everybody at my, uh, at where I work. You know, reach, you know, just thinking, you know, outside of the church, into the community, and just getting the gospel out. So, obviously, you guys can tell I'm a little excited about when I read the book of Acts. I really believe that the church, that we can experience this, because nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. God's the same, the Holy Spirit's the same, the Word of God is still the Word of God, it's still powerful than any two-edged sword, you know, it cuts right to the heart of the matter, and, and now God has called us to be the ones to bring it to the world. So, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your Word, and, and, and Lord, just to, to look back in history and, and see how you used just ordinary people, no different than anybody in this room. Uh, Lord, no difference at all. So um, God, challenge us and um, stretch us a little bit. Uh, Lord, Lord, take me out of my comfort zone more. Uh, Lord, um, take me to a place where I'm just totally uncomfortable, right? Where I need to trust you totally, God. Um, Lord, uh, you know, we want to be in a place where um, you know, our relationship with you is just so vibrant, so alive, so real, God, so real that we would, you know, we see you um, in every part of our day, uh, Lord. So we thank you for that. I thank you for everyone here tonight. That, uh, Lord, uh, anything that I might have said, I don't want to insult anybody. I don't want to um, uh, put anybody down in any way or hurt anybody's feelings, Lord. I I just pray that we would just be challenged, God, about uh, life. And, you know, you put us on this planet for such a time as this. You've, I mean, our time here is ordained, God. Help us to see that. And enable us, God, and encourage us to take those steps of faith. Um, Lord, it's just exciting, God, and we, uh, we just uh, want to be a part of what you're doing. So speak to our hearts, Lord. We're, we're all different. But, God, you have a way of ministering and really catching our ear and understanding where we're at. So speak to us, Lord, and uh, I pray that uh, we would respond in such a way that would uh, bring glory to you. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for traveling mercies, Lord, for all of us getting back home. And should you tarry tomorrow, that we'd uh, have a Christ-filled day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.